All right, at this time, we're going to allow the children to be dismissed to meet Miss Regina in the back. Good morning, everybody. He is risen. Uh, folks, this is a reason to celebrate. What we're remembering, what we're honoring today is a very big deal, as we'll see as we go through the scriptures together a little bit later. For those of you that may be wondering, hey, was it the right call to go to two services today? Look around. Yes, it is. Uh, by God's grace, a number of folks came in the early service as well. So it's been good to see so many people coming together to worship with us. And particularly as we have the opportunity to celebrate some baptisms, and we'll do so later on at the end of the service. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and take them out at this time. And we'll go to it here in a few moments, but you can turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. You know, there is something I think that is within all of us when we have this desire to be the one to be able to present news to people. Something that for the first time they'll finally get and they'll, they'll hear and they'll understand. In my home growing up, there was an instance in which uh, one time we went to go visit some of our neighbors across the street. I was probably about eight years of age. And as we go over there, we're all in the basement. Uh, my moms are over here talking, having a good time. Me, the kids were all over here playing, enjoying ourselves. And over here, the dads, and they're shooting pool. And uh, my dad was not a smoker. But on this particular occasion, the guy that was hosting us offered him a cigar. And so he took that cigar and he took a puff, took a second puff, put it down. He was done. That was it. Well, that weekend, uh, remember, this is the day and age when long distance is not something you just pick up your cell phone and did. Uh, it cost extra money, and so you tended to save some long-distance calls for the weekend because the rates were cheaper. And so on the weekends, my parents would tend to call their parents and have a visit. And they would let me get on there also to say a little something to my grandparents as well. I had something to say this time. They put me on, and what I wanted to say, I said it in just one word. Granny, guess what? Dad smoked a cigar. <laughs> And I outed him right there and made sure everybody knew about it. And there is something about that being able to say the news that we just love. And you get this. For example, if you close on a house and uh, you finally, it's yours, you call people. You let people know, hey, we finally got the house. It's exciting. Or maybe you've been looking for a job. It's been elusive, struggling with that. Finally, you're able to get that job. You call people. You say, hallelujah, praise God, I finally got a job, I'm working. Um, your kid, if your kid plays on a team and you win the state championship, you not only feel like you want to call people, you must. You have to because you got to let them know, look what our child accomplished there with their team. So it's a big deal. Well, lately, as we've been going through the scriptures, and particularly these last few chapters of Matthew, I feel like I've been deprived of a lot of that because you know, the last few chapters are hard and heavy, aren't they? There's a lot of darkness about them. Uh, death, sin, and its consequences and its cost. And we've been going through that. And hallelujah, I finally get to talk about the good news today with you all as we celebrate the culmination of what it is that God accomplished through Jesus Christ. Folks, this is the turning point in history. This is the turning point in your Bibles. Because up to now, sin and death have had their way with humanity. But it isn't until this point things begin to change. 
I know many of you have probably either read The Lord of the Rings or at a minimum, you watched the movie, and for eight and a half hours, you kept dealing with the adversity and the bad guys getting away with stuff. And, and, and finally comes that moment when you see the eye in the tower and the tower begins its collapse. And they do it in slow motion so you can just enjoy watching the demise of your enemy. That's what's happening here. The tower of sin and death are crumbling. And they crumble because Jesus defeated sin and death when he came back from the dead. And so this is what we get, this is what I'm excited about. Hopefully you will be too as we look at this chapter together as we go through this. Now, the last several weeks, we called this under a series, uh, The Cross. And it's Jesus on full display. And I mean that from a number of different angles, right? Because we've learned a lot of things about Jesus that we wouldn't necessarily know until we see what occurs on the cross. And it's there we find more about his person, his purpose, his path, all through the events surrounding the cross. And last week in particular, that was the dark week, right? And when we were looking at his death, but we saw the gold nugget that was in that. Because remember, if Jesus had no sin, he shouldn't have been able to die because the wages of sin is death. But Jesus did die on the cross. So what does that mean? Either he had sin or sin was imputed to him. And that's what the scriptures make clear. Our sin was placed upon him. And so when we see Christ's death, we have the evidence that he has absorbed our sin and the wrath of God against our sin upon himself. Well, what's the proof? What's the proof that he wasn't just a martyr, that he didn't just die, and then that was the end of it like everybody else? What evidence do we have that his payment was different? It's the resurrection. That's what is so different about this. One time I went into a store and I was making a purchase and uh, I guess they didn't scan the purchase or whatever accurately. And so as I'm leaving the stores, I'm walking out, you know, they got those little detectors there by the door. And as I'm walking through it, that thing goes off. Doot, 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 doot. And I remember standing there, shoplifting pastor right here. <laughs> That's what I feel like. That's not what I did. I reached into that bag and I got my receipt and I went. I am vindicated. I am not dishonest. I have a receipt that gives the evidence, the proof that what I purchased, I did in fact purchase. That is the resurrection to every Christian. It is the receipt that we hold on to that says in Christ, his death was different. His death was different because God saw it as different when he took our sins and he defeated sins from that point on and came back. In fact, I'll summarize it in a little paragraph here. I'll put it up here on the screen for you. But this is what's significant. Jesus's defeat of death is first of all, is the work of the father. Jesus didn't raise himself. The father ultimately saw to it that he would be raised and the father did it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And this proved Jesus as the son of God, the one who paid for our sins, overcame sin's penalty, and as a result, he overcame sin's wages of death. That's how you know Jesus's death was different. It's because he came back and God received that death as a payment for our sins. You realize somebody comes back from the dead, that's impossible. Through this, the impossible has become possible. And it's only because of what God has done and seen and accomplished. 
Now, the last chapter of Matthew, as we go through this here in just a few moments, let me just summarize. It's got three big events that occur throughout it. It's going to tell you about Jesus' resurrection. It's also going to go into an act of deception that happens. And finally, a commission that will occur. And, but all of these events, I'd like to suggest to you that they're all working under the same umbrella, the same goal of directing us to understand this, that all three are going to somehow give a testimony that Jesus is alive. He is alive. And Matthew wants you to hear it from a number of sources. So with that, I'm going to invite you, if you would, to stand with me out of reverence for the Word of God as we read Matthew chapter 28 as I read it to you. Matthew 28, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. And the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said, Come see the place where he was lying. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he's going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him. Behold, I've told you. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and take my word to my brethren to leave for Galilee. And there they will see me. Now, while they were on their way, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, You are to say, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ears, we'll win him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money and did as they had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. But the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Our Father and our God, what a powerful message you have for us in this, your word, that there is a hope for all of us in Christ Jesus and in him alone. We pray that in these next few moments, through the word, through the testimony of baptisms, through singing. Not only that you would be exalted, but our hearts would be pricked, challenged, maybe even corrected and encouraged. And we'll ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. You know, the biggest threat I think that you can ever present to someone is to uh, threaten them with their demise 
to kill them. Because once a person has been killed, there's no retaliation. And there's nothing that they can do to kind of go back and sort of change things to undo this. Once it is done, it has been done. But can you imagine if someone had been killed and then a few moments later, the one who really was dead came back to life? Would you think that would be a powerful individual? I mean, what harm can you do them? You, you can't. They're unkillable. Well, when God had Jesus Christ go through his death to then come back, we find sin and death found an adversary they weren't going to be able to defeat again. They had been destroyed. They had been demolished by him. And it shows he can't be threatened by anything else. So the, over, the overcoming of death through the resurrection, folks, this is a game changer. This is what the crux of our faith rests upon. In fact, Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 makes us consider what our situation would be if Jesus hadn't come. I'll put it up here on the screen for you in 1 Corinthians 15. It says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Meaning those that have already died, there's no hope for them. It's a done deal. No, the resurrection is everything for us because this shows us that the price Jesus paid was received. Sin has been defeated. Death has been defeated. That, ladies and gentlemen, is power. And Jesus is powerful. And that's why Matthew goes to great lengths to give us a series of testimonies so that we know it isn't just what one person thought. He's going to bring I'm going to say there are five testimonies within this text that give evidence to the fact that Jesus has risen from the dead. So I'll walk through them with you here. The first one we have, you see how the verse 1 begins? It begins with the angel. Now, I don't know if you remember this. Matthew's gospel opened with an angel. Remember that? When Joseph was afraid because Mary, his wife, had gotten pregnant, and she said she's a virgin, and he's looking at that going, right. So he decides, I can't marry this woman, you know, and he's going to divorce her and put her away quietly. But it's an angel of God that appears to Joseph and says, no, 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 don't you do that. Because the baby that is in her has been, remember, conceived by the Holy Spirit of God, the only one who is fully God and fully man. But he told Joseph, don't you be afraid. And then he gave him a name. He said, you shall call his name Emmanuel. Remember what Emmanuel means? God with us. That's exactly right. God with us. And here, Matthew's gospel is ending with an angel. The angel comes and appears, and this time he says to the women, you guys come and see. Come and see. There's an empty grave. I want you to look inside, and you're going to find no evidence. And it's the same spirit that was able to conceive Jesus is the same spirit that would raise him from the dead. So God is at work here. And in these last verses, I hope you don't miss that. You underline it at the end of Matthew 28 and verse 20, where he says, Lo, I am with you always. He's still Emmanuel. I am with you. Nothing has changed to the very end of the age. But it's the angel that gives the first testimony of Jesus' resurrection. And in this instance, it's an evidence that comes from absence. There's a grave with nobody in it. So a tomb that once had that body, not anymore. Well, then these women are going to get another evidence. And that's what happens next in the story. And it's an evidence, actually, of presence. 
And the presence is that Jesus is actually going to come and appear before them. And in so doing, they will get his appearance. So this would be interesting, to say the least. Would you not agree? Somebody you knew was dead, you're walking down the street, all of a sudden they're walking the other way, whistling. You stop, you look, you think that's going to freak you out just a little bit. Well, Jesus knew this would scare him. That's why he says, don't be afraid. There's a story in your Old Testament, uh, back when King Saul, King Saul had rebelled against God and he wanted to hear from God. And so he decided he, he was praying, he was asking God speak to me and God wouldn't do it. And the prophet Samuel had already passed away. He had already died. And so Saul goes, I know what I'll do. I'm going to get a witch to conjure this man's soul back up. So he goes under disguise to the witch of Endor, and he says, call up Samuel for me. She goes, oh, okay. So she's doing her thing, her little magical incantation, and Samuel comes up. Now, he doesn't come up in a physical body, but his spirit came up such that they knew. And Samuel's irritated. He goes, what have you brought me up here for? And you remember what the witch did when she saw this? She screamed. This was new. She knew this isn't my magic. This is the work of God, and it's scary. And that would be the same way when people would see the risen Jesus. This is new. This is scary. What's going on? But Jesus has made a point to prepare them. Started with the angel to get them ready. And then he comes and does the same thing. And I love the tenderness in this passage. You see what they do? They come up to Jesus and they touch his feet. These are feet that have nail prints in them where the nail went through both to suspend him from the cross. And the text tells us when they came, they worshiped. They exalted him. They knew he is alive. Some of them had seen Lazarus. This is a whole different level. New body. So Jesus tells them, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go tell my disciples, and I want you to go north to Galilee. Galilee was his hometown. This is where the bulk of his ministry had occurred. They're all going to gather up there. Jerusalem has been the city of his rejection. So they're not going to do this here. They're going to go north. And speaking of his rejection in Jerusalem, Matthew gives us another testimony. And that is, it's a testimony of deception. But the religious leaders, when they found the grave that they had secured, remember, they're the ones who went to Pilate and said, we're afraid the disciples will come steal the body. Pilate said, secure it as much as you know how. They get all these soldiers together. They, they get this team. This is sealed team six of the day that's monitoring this grave. All right? You are not getting past them. And so they're there. They're posted. These guys, these religious leaders set this up. They set the seal. These guys couldn't be bribed, not the guards, to say, turn the other way while we take the body. Impossible. Because they would, they would be killed under penalty of death. A bribe doesn't do you a whole lot of good if you know you're going to be killed as a result of what you accomplish through it. So that can't happen. And as a result, the religious leaders are confounded. They are confronted with an empty grave. And yet they still refuse to believe. Nope, I can't go there. We won't go there. I don't know if you remember in Luke's gospel, um, Jesus told a parable about a rich man and Lazarus. And at one point when Lazarus has died and Lazarus is in hell, he calls out to Abraham, who was with Lazarus. And he says, Abraham, do something. Send Lazarus. Go back to my brothers. Tell them what's going on here. Tell them so that they won't wind up where I have wound up. And you remember what Abraham said? 
Can't do it. Not going to do it. And then he said this, they have Moses and the prophets. They have the revealed word of God. And if that can't transform them, they're not going to change even if someone rises from the dead. Folks, that was prophetic of what was going to happen when Jesus rose from the dead. And don't forget, these guys had a lot of evidence about Jesus. They had seen his ministry. They had seen his miracles as they occurred over a period of time. They had the word of God and the prophecies to get them ready. And now the word made flesh is dwelling among them. And then you think about the events of the crucifixion. I mean, at high noon, the lights go out. It becomes midnight for three hours. That, that ought to make people go, this is bizarre. And then upon Jesus' death, the temple, the curtain being torn in two and an earthquake, all of these things should have made them start scratching their heads going, maybe there's more to this individual than we thought there was. And then finally, when you get to Sunday, not only is Jesus risen from the dead, Matthew reminds us there were people who were dead in graves who got up and began to go into Jerusalem and give testimony. Another thing that would freak you out. And then on top of that, we have evidence from the scriptures that say over 500 people saw Jesus over the next 40 days. So there's all kinds of evidence and testimony, but this is a refusal to believe. And yet, having said all that, I personally don't think that this is here to show us necessarily the hearts of the religious leaders. I think that's the secondary truth. The primary point behind this is not the fact that they lied. It's that they had to do something to explain a missing body. The fact that they have to lie gives evidence that the grave was empty. It's another evidence of absence. And so Jesus' own enemies give evidence by having to lie about where the body is. And so that's exactly what they did. But it doesn't stop Jesus, not one bit. In fact, that moves us to the fourth testimony that Matthew highlights here for us and tells us about. And this is one that involves Jesus's presence, a testimony he would give to his disciples as they assembled in Galilee. And it's a testimony of his commission to them, to his power and to his authority that he is the living Messiah King that was prophesied of long ago. Now, we're gonna take a step back for those that have been going through Matthew with us. Because remember, one of the things we've been asking is this question. It's a question that would have been, any Jew would have asked, if Jesus is the King, Where's the kingdom? Where is he? Specifically, a Jewish kingdom. Well, the kingdom was offered to the Jews. They rejected him, crucified him. So now what's happening? The kingdom is being offered still, and the Jew can still come, but we find that it is going to be comprised primarily of non-Jews. It's going to be what's called the Gentiles who come to faith. And they have a name. Y'all know what they're called? The church. It's you and I the people who come to an understanding and in faith trust this Messiah as our Savior. And he is still Emmanuel. He is God with us, always present with us. And the church now, we just get to be this foretaste of the coming kingdom. You know, as people encounter us, how we live our lives, how we treat them, how we approach them, how we deal with them, people start to get a, this little taste that they get in their mouths. And they go, I like that. Well, ideally, they'll say, I like that. This is good. This is what we see because Christians will be a people who once were dead 
And now, by the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that same Spirit abides in every believer. Think about the power that abides in a Christian. That means you have the power to say no to sin. You have the power to say yes to God and to obedience and to trust. And God is continuing to expand his kingdom with the people that are like that. So while the kingdom's not fully here, not yet, not right now, there is a king who is alive. And he's he's got a people, a group he calls his disciples, that he is getting them ready with hearts of faith. And so the text makes it clear, Jesus rose from the dead. Four separate testimonies. Now, if you're awake earlier, some of you go, wait a minute, Jack, you said five. What's going on here? Five. Uh, Yeah, there is a fifth one. Let me give you this truth before I bring you to that realization. It's this. The resurrection shows us many things, but here's the key components. Jesus is vindicated as the Son of God. Through the resurrection, we find his payment for sin has been accepted by the Father. You had the confidence of knowing that payment has been made. And now there is a new life that we have, and it's receipt that his payment for sin was sufficient in Christ's new life, and then we see it evidenced in our own. And finally, he is the first fruits. in, In that day and age when you had a harvest, you had the first fruits of your harvest that came to being, and you were expecting the rest, and you gave the first fruits unto God. And Jesus is the first fruits of those who will receive a new body, a new life in him. And finally, he's the promised Messiah, who reigns now in heaven and will one day on earth. And that brings me to the fifth testimony. Did you see it in there? It's you. You, as a disciple, are called to give a testimony. That is a part of the great commission that you and I have been given, that we then can go and we can speak and we can share and we can say, this Jesus we know has come from the dead. This Jesus is alive. And as a proclamation, all disciples will proclaim. In fact, in just a moment, where's the worship team? I'm going to ask you guys, go ahead and come on up here because you lead us in song. But you guys are about to sing a song, and you're going to make a proclamation about what it is that you proclaim. And it's in this, these lyrics. You're going to say this, our chains are gone. Our debt is paid. The cross has overthrown the grave. For Jesus' blood that sets us free means death to death and life for me. And so now we have our marching orders to go, therefore, and make disciples. And we're going to look at that a little bit further next week when you gather together and explore that even more in depth. But now we're to be a people who speak of an empty grave, a people who will go and who will baptize teach and proclaim the good news about the risen Savior. We're a people who live for a higher citizenship. Y'all ever get frustrated watching the news? Start despairing, looking at a lot of different things going on in the country and in the world? Folks, we got to look higher. That's not where our hope is. Our hope is in something so much higher. It's an eternal kingdom, a heavenly country to come. And we will find that as we go through this life. But in the meantime, Our changed lives are going to do something. We're going to proclaim him here by what we say. But then we're going to proclaim him in the way that we live, what people see in our lives. 
and how our lives are a surrender and a submission unto him and to a people who would seek to be like him. Because again, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, that's the spirit that abides every believer from this point on. He is still taking the walking dead and transforming them into the vibrant living. Amen? This is what we remember and when we celebrate. And when we do that, ladies and gentlemen, we begin that testimony first by making that proclamation, ideally through baptism, that we let people know through this, this outward symbol of an inward reality that we were the walking dead. But then we died to sin, we're buried, and then raised anew. And because of that, we walk in this new life just as Jesus did. And so today, in just a few moments, we're gonna celebrate this as we've got several people coming forward. They're gonna give their testimony of faith as each one of them is baptized before you. So to prepare our hearts, we're gonna sing about it. This is something to rejoice, to, to allow God to work in our hearts as we get ready to celebrate and watch in the testimony and lives of these to come. So would you stand with me as Tom leads us in yet another song?